This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week 645, brought to you by Eero. Never think about Wi-Fi again. Get free overnight shipping in the U.S. or Canada with the code iFanboy at checkout. And iFanboy listeners just like you.
Welcome to iFanboy Pick of the Week, episode 645. I'm Ryan Haupt, and I'm here with Josh. You can have that Mexican dessert twice, Flanagan. <laughs> That's a new one. That's a new one. I will give you that. All right. We are iFanboy, and every week we read our stack of comics, and one of us picks their favorite book, and we call that book the Pick of the Week. We talk about that book, other books from the week, the patron pick, and maybe if we have some time, read some listener mail, and it is going to be fun. You will have fun. This is your spoiler warning. This is a review show, and there's going to be spoilers, so just use common sense. This week, Josh had the pick, and he didn't tell me what the pick was going to be before sending me the script, so this is the first time seeing it. The pick of the week is Batman number 52, and there's a good reason that you didn't know it before then. And it's because I didn't either. I, I will say this was one of those weeks where I, re- I read a lot of good books. I was like, oh, I enjoyed all these. But I, I did have a hard time picking out a pick. And I had to really think about it. And it was flip-flopping between this and Mr. Miracle. And I was like, I don't even really want to talk about Tom King's work again. I'm, I'm getting a little tired of it. Which is going to make that first letter we have tonight a lot of fun. Um, I don't know why I called this tonight. It's morning. Um... But at the end of the day, when I sort of looked at my books and and what I what was making me sort of the most thoughtful while also enjoying it, I, I went with Batman uh, number fifty two. Also, also because multiple times during the issue, I was like, "Why isn't Lee Weeks a superstar?" Right. I I I had that thought multiple times. There's one shot in here where it's it's Batman. Jumping, you know, he's not in the rain, but it kind of looks like he's in the rain. He's jumping between buildings, and he's got a rope, and he's pulling it. It's very, very Mazzucchelli-like. Mm-hmm. But it looks nothing like any of the Batman that we've seen, you know, in the main books here for, for quite a while. You know, it yeah, doesn't, this doesn't look like anything like Scott Collins' Batman. No. It, it certainly doesn't look like Greg Capullo's Batman, and and I loved it. I was like, that's just so good. Like, it's almost that that panel. I can remember the moment that that put me over. Like, I was like, wow, that's a really good looking Batman. Um, and and so, you know, all of those things sort of mixed together. And and, and the fact that the whole time, basically, uh, this is the second part of the, I don't know, the tw- it's called Cold Days, but I'm going to call it the 12 Angry Men storyline. Where well, Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Uh, where, where Bruce Wayne has been put on a jury, which, again, if this hasn't been done before, that's brilliant. I mean, it's still brilliant, but like, I thought, wow, nobody thought of that? That's amazing. And if you're Tom King and you're sitting around and, and you're like, what am I going to do? And, and, you know, then you get a jury summons one day. You're like, what if Batman was on a jury? Oh my God, write that down. You know, like it's it's so straight up uh, obvious and interesting. Um, and then and then the, the twist on it is that he's basically going after himself. He's going after Batman's work. He's not defending what Batman's doing. He's using that as a, as a reason to not acquit. I mean, to not convict, to acquit. Um, and I, and I kind of am spending a lot of the time wondering, you know, I know what the big motivations are, but I, I'm thinking really like, what is, what is Bruce Wayne actually thinking here? What was Mr. Freeze thinking here? What, you know, what is behind all this? And that's the thing to me that I found the most interesting. That was the thing that sort of grabbed me the most. Because um, he's basically trying to convince the jury. By the way, Bruce Wayne's right. There is there is a reasonable doubt. They're not beyond a reasonable doubt, and they can't convict based on that. And the one time I was on a jury, I had, this, I had the exact same thing go on. Where were was, you were the lone holdout? I wasn't the lone holdout, but we and we ended up as a hung jury, and we and basically it was a mistrial. Um, but it was a it was a prostitution case, and and I was like, "There's not 
enough proof here to that's beyond a reasonable ju- doubt. And I think one or two other people were along the same thing, and so I wouldn't vote to convict. And and the other people were like, it's a hooker, come on. And I, and I was like, no, we're not. Like, according to the rules that that foreman or the judge gave us, we're not there. And I was really surprised that people just didn't give a shit. And that's kind of what's happening in this scene from, you know, in this whole jury room. Sure. And I mean, that's a lot of 12 angry men, too, is just getting the 11 angry men to even care what they're mm-hmm. there for. I've never I've never been on a jury. So all I have are movies and, and comics. Yeah. Um, I don't think they'd let me be on a jury. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Um, you're you're right. Uh, when you last talked about this book about the salmon colored shirt, that's <laughs> an issue. Still is. And uh, everything else about this book is great, though. <laughs> We're going to give you the salmon, which matches also the color on Mr. Freeze's like uh, glasses and little voice thing. Chesty. Do you like is where does Mr. Freeze rank on your bat villains? Eh, I, I don't really care one way or another. I, I think it, I, awesome, folks. I like Mr. Freeze quite a bit. I think the best work with him was done in the animated series. Um, yeah. They kept him in that gray area. He wasn't really a bad guy. Um, I don't know. I, I it. If you make him into like a supervillain, I find him very uninterested. Uh, well, he's just he's like if you just make him a supervillain, you don't have that hearts of ice kind of thing, heart of ice thing. Then then, uh, you know, he's like a good fun supervillain to hang out with for a little while. But if you put the you know, the heavy heart thing all together at the same time, that can get kind of tiring because they've done it so much. So I'm kind of mm-hmm. I kind of feel like I've like it is good and it's interesting, but I've also like we've covered it. I sort of don't wish this was coming out of the wedding. Yeah. Um, cause just cause I, I, I think Bruce is an angry enough person that you could tell this story without it having to be, he's working through something. I, I agree with you and I don't agree with you because in the realistic world that they are producing comics in, it is a serial and they have to connect one thing from one thing to another. And I feel like this is actually a, fairly subtle way to do that so they're doing their job and what they're supposed to but you can also just kind of take it out of that yeah i think in my head i do i think he's i think he's 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 walking a line here and i think it's it's fairly deft but i i know what you're saying and and in a perfect world the story that stands on and you don't really need that and it's funny because there's i noticed they're being very subtle about it in here Mm -hmm. if you didn't know you wouldn't know they're just sort of saying well with what happened i think alfred says that once you know, or, or something, you know, similarly vague. So they're not hammering it into us. I guess is where I'm going with that. And I do like, I always like stories of the citizens of Gotham. Mm-hmm. Those are always interesting. It's always fun to get the on the ground perspective of what it's like to actually live in that city. Because it's easy to forget that in these fantastical superhero worlds, people have to have, you know, that's the beauty of something like Astro City. Yeah. You get the day to day life. And you don't often get that. And so, like, I love the stories about, you know, cops telling them to keep the guns. It's Gotham. You know, all that kind of stuff I, is is good. I also like that as a level setting for sort of where Gotham is at now, because everybody writes it a little differently. So it, you know, it being a it, Gotham was a really big part of Scott Snyder's run and sort of the character of Gotham. Um, right. As he was going back and forth in time. And with Tom King's Gotham, I don't know that we've had a real good sense of that yet. You know, if you think of uh, year one, like Batman, like you got a real sense of what Gotham was like at this point. So this gives you a little bit of uh, idea where Gotham is at at the time this story is taking place, which is relevant and interesting. Yeah. Who is that Mohawk guy? I never noticed him before. 
I, I don't know. He's just one of, you know, Gotham's street toughs who somehow got on a jury. Yeah. He's probably wearing a vest. He's probably wearing <laughs> his his fancy court vest under that jacket. He has he has them. That's sure. That's for sure. <laughs> Even he knew not to wear salmon. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, at, at the at the end of the day, it was just like this. This was a really good comic book, and 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 it it got me thinking a lot while I read it, and that's something that I really enjoy. And this is sort of the the two heights of 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 comic book fun are, you know, you're not thinking about it at all. You're just like, wow, what's happening next? This is great. Go. And then the other one is, wow, what's going on here? But in that good way, uh, not the bad way. So, you know, those are the two things I tend to look for in, in things that I like about a comic book. Uh, and, and again, Lee Weeks, you know, <laughs> it's, oh yeah, it's great. Every one of these pages has something really interesting to look at. There's a bit where, um, digitally it's on page 19, um, where the there's a woman on the jury and he's trying to it's when they start talking about the confession. Uh, it's a lady with the scarf mm-hmm. and and she's being um sarcastic where she's like, I know what you're gonna say about the confession that he was so scared of Batman. And the second panel has a like the first panel is her rolling her eyes. The second panel is a mock fear. Um, like face. We're like, oh, I'm so scared of what Batman did to him. And then, and then the third panel is she's sort of pointing and, 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 you know, talking at Bruce Wayne, you know, and then the fourth panel is a smug arms folded, like, see, I'm right. And it's a short amount of time, but there's a ton of stuff that went there, a ton of acting that was really, really good. And I knew exactly, I knew exactly what she was doing with her face. And I I was like, that is wonderful, wonderful cartooning right there. In those four panels, you learn that she is the person who calls the cops on a barbecue. Yes, totally. Also, she has tiny baby Trump hands. (laughs) <laughs> she does. Her potato salad is under season. You know that about her. <laughs> that part of um, it's funny. That part of the drawing is actually not good. Her hands are too small. Her hands <laughs> would not be smaller because they are closer to us, unless her face is gigantic. <laughs> I mean, maybe that was an intentional choice. I think. Yeah, it might be. I also think that like the hand is germane to the the emotion that he's trying to get across so i think there's mm-hmm. a bit of a, a choice that you make there you say well i, I know it's not exactly perfect but it, it's it sells it and that's actually what the important thing is sometimes where are you with uh the current captain america i don't uh, much like i don't like that batman is recovering from a failed marriage it, it frustrates me that captain america is recovering from this weird hydra storyline Mm-hmm. But I am enjoying this uh, rebooted ta uh, Hesse Coates run. I think that if you're going to have a guy like ta Hesse Coates do this in the current cultural climate, it is about as adept a way as possible of having him be able to sort of address things in a way that is not so directed on the nose that it's annoying hmm. And it's it's you know, it's the question is like, well, what is America? What is you know, what are you know, what are we? What do we want to be? What what were we? And I don't know that I've se- I mean, I guess Nuke was always supposed to be the dark reflection of Captain America. But I I think the connection as it's made here is done adeptly enough that it's just a really good way of showing the different philosophies mm-hmm. of the two characters. What I what I like too there's there's a really neat Nuke is he's not on the right side of things but he's on the right side of things 
Yeah, I mean, the he and Cap have a Venn diagram. Yeah, there is some overlap. Well, you know, they were they were fighting against Hydra. They feel bad that. You know, they, they don't like that that Hydra did that. Same thing with Thunderbolt Ross, who, mm-hmm. you know, is is in the terms of this story and historically a right wing asshole and has been way overbearing. But he also fought against Hydra and has been a soldier. And I, I like that in that contrast, who is right and who is good is murky. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's pretty good. I mean, do you like Cap stories where he's kind of on the outs with the the powers that be? Kind of. Yeah, I kind of yeah. do too. I, I like I I like I like the idea of it. I like the concept of it. I don't know that I always like the experience of it. Like it's an obvious, like it's a it's a really good way of telling a story like that. And and Ta-Nehisi Coates is like he's the right person to do that. He, uh, <laughs> I was gonna try to distill who and what he is into a small pithy sentence. And I couldn't do it, but I think he exists in that, in that framework where like, he's fully and completely aware more than most and more eloquently than most of the flaws in our system for all sorts of reasons. But at the same time, he it lives within the system. He benefits from the system there. He sees that it's not, he can, he can say it's, it's, it's evil, but not evil at the same time. And that's a interesting line of thought. You know, and to then take it and put it in cartoon form with Captain America, you know, I, I I like knowing that there's thoughtfulness behind what's going on, even if I'm not always sure what it is. Yeah, that's a good way to put that. Um, you know, and then hoping at the end you have some sort of some kind of resolution. I don't think it'll be an answer. We're not going to solve the American crisis at the end of this story, but at least we're going to think through it uh, with a person who is really, really good at thinking through it and, and illustrating that. I don't remember why they made Sharon older, um, she, but it is it is fascinating to watch comic book artists try to draw an old woman. Because yeah. old men don't seem to be a problem, but old women, they every artist seems to have a completely different take. I thought that I thought Yu's version was pretty good. I thought so too. Well, I think I think Leno Francis Yu is a fantastic. He's one of my favorite artists. I used to like him a lot more than I think I have more recently. Um, uh, is that, you think a style change, inking change? I think that he's been on things that he shouldn't have been on. Okay. Um, I, I'm thinking specifically of, uh, around the time of Secret Avengers or Secret, one of them, the one with Bendis. I, I wasn't really into him at that point. I think he's doing a really good job on this. And part of it is that, um, there's a, there's a bit of a sparseness here. Um, that I th- there's a there's a, a coldness, a bit of a loneliness that's going on that I think that he's actually depicting pretty well, and also that's in the colors. Um, I'm seeing also, yeah, I think the Sharon Carter, you, you, she was that had to do with Rick Remender's storyline. Um, oh right, okay. When they went to Dimension, Dimension Z, Z, and and they came back, and they were both old, and then St- Cap got de-aged by the Cosmic Cube girl, but she didn't. He he turned it down a little, like he 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 de-aged her less i think to make this bot believable mm-hmm. um because she's like she's clearly like a beautiful woman but she's you know older she's got lines right. around her face she's got you know you can see it in her in her neck and, and in her face and but but not so much that you're not that you're, you're like why would you be with this why would <laughs> it would be difficult for captain america to be with like my 90 year old grandmother more to 50, talk about a 55 year old former super athlete model okay you get that like that works yeah, I, I, I like it. I don't know that it's enjoyable. It is. I mean, it, yeah. Are you saying it's not enjoyable because of the light it's shining on 
the world. Yeah, all that. I mean, it's 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 been kind of a bummer the whole time. It's not like I've had a good chance to feel good about Captain America because Captain America's not feeling good about himself here. Yeah, that's that's a good point. But, well, but it looks like the, the cover to the next issue has Cap in a hoodie. Well, that's always good. Right? Yeah. Because that means that means he's going off the grid. Mm-hmm. I do like that. I like that more. I don't know that I like him like yelling in the face of government officials. Mm-hmm. But operating under cover of night or whatever it is, you know, off the grid, that I kind of I can get with that. I like it in the movies. And I like and I, there's a, a scene where he's boxing against like a hologram. And for some reason, I just I love the fact that Captain America still trains. Yeah. After all this time, like, it, dude, you can skip leg day. But no, he won't. He will not skip leg day. Well, if you were to continue the metaphor, you have to always keep working at it. You can't become complacent no matter how successful you are. That's true. And that's, I mean, that's your American symbol right there. Like, don't, you know, even if you've achieved it, if you've got to keep working all the time. And he knows yep. that. And that's, you know, he's the best of us. And that's why. Blah, blah, blah. And he can't skip leg day because otherwise it's so sore when you come back. <laughs> By the way, knows that. presumably, <laughs> <laughs> presumably. Um, so I guess my second choice would have been Mr. Miracle, the uh, recently Eisner winning Tom King, Mitch Garrett's joint. Um, I, I don't think I said this before when we were talking about Tom King, so I'll take a different approach on him. And, and we're going to talk about this later, too. Um I think in one of the emails doesn't matter. Uh, I I have a I have a really interesting and fun time trying to suss out the personal in this, and I don't think it's always completely uh, literal. I don't think that everything I'm reading, oh, this totally would have happened in his life. But I think that the emotions and the underlying intent of a lot of this um, is coming from experiences that both Tom and Mitch have had uh, raising kids and you know being in families and things like that. Um, and even if so even if like the thing you're seeing isn't um, isn't like exa- he's not telling you exactly what he was feeling or what it was, uh, it's rooted in a lot of truth, and I can see it from a mile away, being you know a parent of two small kids and and in this world, and I I love that like it, it the the authenticity of that shines through to me so very much. Um, uh, interesting thing that came up over the week, um, former. Uh, writer for the the website Jeff Reed um, had said that he he read the vision and liked it like see the craft enjoy it and everything was kind of a bummer and it wasn't his thing and he was like he couldn't decide if he wanted to read Mr. Miracle or not and I thought about it and my first answer was no don't read it you won't like it and that's fine then I thought about it further and I said the, the difference between the vision and this Mr. Miracle story is that the vision was all based on artificial love and an attempt at building a life that was not real. This book is based on the fact that the love is completely real and and completely endless. There's a bit at the end, uh, you know, where Barda and 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 uh, Scott Free have a fight, you know, and they they. You're arguing about something very significant and important, but later there's a there's a point where they're both sort of lying there, and, and he's like, "I love you," and she's like, "I love you too," and it is it is so sweet and romantic and real and earnest um, that that those things can coexist together, and it doesn't have to. Unlike over in Batman, where everybody's fuming and has to keep their anger about whatever's going on, like this, underneath it all is a rock solid relationship, a bedrock, um, and that's the difference between this and Vision, and so. 
that might be enough to say like, oh, that that the other one was kind of depressing. At the root of this one, it's not depressing. It's it's you have that love and you're trying to work through very tough decisions, um, almost in spite of it. And that made me that makes me like it. I yeah, I uh, am loving every issue of this book because of the mixed feelings and the complexity and the real relationship. I also uh, I won't say which one, so listeners can can guess. Uh, I own one of those T-shirts that he wears <laughs> in the issue. He goes through a lot of T-shirts. I won't say which one, but I got one of them. He does. I would think that he wouldn't want to wear superhero T-shirts because you know he's a superhero. But maybe you get them for free. Maybe it's like in your if you're in the Watchtower at the Justice League, you just grab a stack on your way out, and that way you don't have to worry. You know, so it's that genius thing where you don't want to think about your wardrobe. I, so I did think whatever. I kind of don't mind that he wears the superhero shirts, but uh, the Sheriff of Babylon shirt, I was kind of like, all right, all right, guys. <laughs> that's... And I love I love uh, Motherbox has iPhone. Uh huh. That's that's just a very natural. I mean, because that tool back in the sixties, you know, was unimaginably complex, but now it looks like a thing we actually use all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that the war has screwed up boom tubes. So now they're not instant. And it's basically like boom, boober. Boom, yeah. There boober. was that. I, I really like the scene with funky Flashman. Oddly yeah, enough. Was, yeah. The only thing with the funky Flashman scene is it does one of those weird, like Fritz is out uh-huh. panels. And I, I assume there's going to be an explanation there, and the explanation kind of scares me. Because if, yeah. if the explanation there falls flat, I worry that this whole series is going to be less than for me. And I don't think it will. I think we'll stick the landing. But when I see those panels, I get a little nervous. I don't even notice them anymore. And that might be like, it's like people who read Watchmen without reading the pirate section. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think maybe if the baby's not real. Maybe. Well, we know Darkseid is because Darkseid is. Well, I mean, the the big moral question of this is does Scott – it seems like it's Scott's decision because he's the all-father, I guess, now. But also Barta is involved. Hi, father. Um, Does he give the baby to Darkseid to end the war, you know? Needs of the many, needs of the few. He talks to the guy at the party store about it, who who gives him a pretty clear answer. But uh, Bart is not having it, which is correct. Um, and, and it seems like he's he's like, well, he's just fighting his like. I I think I know the right thing to do as you know as a god, but as a as a person, I can't do that. So he's he's at odds. He can't. He's at a rock and a hard place. Um, and it's interesting. I don't know what's gonna yeah, happen. It is. I don't know. And I like that. I, I like that. I, I Again, same same thing with Batman. Like, I'm thinking about this. You know, every every panel, every sentence seems to have weight, seems to mean something. It's good. Very good. Inhumans be getting killed, yo. This might have been my pick of the week. I could see that. Death of um, the Inhumans number two. Uh, uh, Donnie Cates and Ariel Olivetti. I, th- I felt like there was just a lot to like here. I think... Um, I don't know if Donny Cates is doing this on purpose, but I think since Warren Ellis's run on um, Karnak, he's just being written as grumpy Warren Ellis. And I'm okay with that. Uh, I wasn't I, sure I, if I was okay with it. I think I would like him to look like old Karnak again. Mm-hmm. But do you not, agree with me that he's being written as kind of grumpy Warren Ellis? Kind of. He's not quite as eloquent, but that's because yeah. it has to be. 
Uh, and I, I liked the scene with him negotiating with the Cree. I definitely saw the twist coming about the like, I didn't come here to surrender. I came here to talk about your surrender. That's, I mean, yeah, that, it, it was it was obvious, but good. And um, I like the idea of Vox as a villain. You know, Vox obviously being the Latin for voice, and so that's the obvious anti- antithetical side or antithesis of the Silent King, right? Is the one with the voice, right? Um, I think that's like that's one of those ideas. Again, you know, Batman on the jury. How has someone not thought of that before? So good on Donny Cates for thinking of that. And then the idea of you know. Black Bolt retaliating against the slaughter of his people by just going to the Kree homeworld and naming the dead mm-hmm. and that being enough to defeat the other army. I thought that was just that was a brilliant. powerful, yeah, a really powerful moment. And then it ends on a, a pretty startling cliffhanger. And so I'm, you know, excited to see where this goes. If I had to walk away from what you said there at all, it would be that I'm dubious about Vox. I don't like that he's a a bit of a clone of Black Bolt like a, he's mm-hmm. a, like an anti Black Bolt like I, like it makes sense from a comic book superhero standpoint but he has the thing on his uh you know that symbol on his face that's like the fork but upside down he's got the same sort of lines on his suit he's got the little wings um and and really what gets me is that um he ref- ref- refers to himself in the uh, the first person plural so he's we us um, and I think that he's going to be a Venom. Because what's going on over in Donny Gates' Venom book is that you're learning that Venom is a bigger cosmic power than we ever suspected and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I don't want that. I can see that. I don't know that that's what's going to happen, but he looks like Venom, too. He does. You're not. And there's, well, Donny Cates has also introduced a new, like, the natural predator of the symbiotes in Venom. Mm-hmm. And there is some similarities in aesthetics in addition to calling himself we. So, yeah, I think you. I didn't see that or think of that, but I think you might be onto something there. And that would definitely change the the feeling of this book. And, and, and you know, if I'm Donny Cates, I would do that. I would weave all my shit together and be like, look, I was making all one big thing. I would totally do that. But I don't necessarily want that because part of the thing about the Inhumans that I think got off track was that they got, you know the cloud, then everybody was an inhuman and whatever the political reasoning was behind not having, in, uh, not having mutants anywhere in books instead and having inhumans, like all that stuff wrecked what was the nature of the inhumans that was interesting. And this felt like it was getting back to it. So yeah, you need your inhumans to truly be other yep. to, to work. And when you put them too much in the Marvel universe, I think you lose some of that otherness. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it wasn't even that it's bad that they were calling everybody an inhuman instead of a mutant. I don't really care about that. It's that it erased the inhumans as a as a, as whatever they were, and they just became the new mutants, basically. Um, so that's not as great. But you know, uh, that being said, like it's a, this is a good inhuman story. You know, in in the context that it feels like it should be. They're in space. They're off doing big things. They're avenging wrongs and being angry. Yeah. I struggle a little bit with sign language in comic books. Uh-huh. That's probably just because it's a language I don't speak. And uh-huh. and so and it's a motion based thing. Mm-hmm. So it's just hard to show in panels, I think. But. Yeah. I think he got around. I feel like did they have, I don't feel like they've done that before. I always felt like Black Bolt communicated mainly through Medusa in the past, and it would just be like 
he would nod at her or he would look at her and then she would intuitively know because their love was deep and their communication was and i liked that just as a mystical mm-hmm. element um now the fact that he's you know doing asl you know not as not as interesting might be isl what well, i know but either way it was uh, in human what i was i was making a joke no I asl made a, i made up a thing adelan come on oh Adeline, okay yep you're yep you, you brought it back thank you uh <laughs> i guess we have a new sponsor I'm excited about this. The sponsor this week is Eero. Eero is a Wi-Fi system, and the idea is that it's it's such a good Wi-Fi system that you will never again have to think about Wi-Fi again. Uh, it was started uh, to build a Wi-Fi that, that the creators wish that they had in their own homes. Fast, reliable connection in every room, even as far as the backyard. Um, and so the idea is that there's the Eero home Wi-Fi system. They introduced it in February 2016, and now they've introduced the second generation system. Uh, it's smarter, faster, more reliable. Basically, the way that works is there's a sort of a home base station uh the eero which is your your wi-fi router and then there are beacons which you can put uh in different places in your house uh to extend it and have sort of it's a it's a mesh wi-fi uh, system but but the deal is that the system also learns um and it, it improves upon itself and you can place the beacons in different places and sort of get the best the best placement you can have as many beacons as you want you could you know you, there's a set that sells uh one and then one with two and you can add more if your house is larger you want to do it that way and the difference being that your signal is strong everywhere the other thing is i was thinking about this as i was setting it up um my old wi-fi uh, router it's fine it's pretty good it's getting it's getting to be a few years old but when i bought it i was like i need to have a good one i, I want to make sure that it's it's uh you know future proof as much as possible and i want it to be fast and it is fine, but uh, I started looking at it in the context of uh, the era, which stylistically, you know, it falls more in the the Apple TV sort of camp. It's, you know, it's a very simple, uh, white, nice shaped box, basically. And then I looked at the at my old Wi-Fi router with like three big antennas sticking out of it. And I was like, oh, those never advanced. Those are like old PCs. They just sort of sit there, um, you know, and, and uh, the Eero has an app. It makes uh, set up pretty easy. Um, they have really great customer support. You can call, you can chat, you can do whatever. You supposedly you're going to have somebody on the phone within 30 seconds if you call. You'll have a person. Um, I didn't need to do that because the app worked so well that it wasn't really necessary for me. So I guess if I have a problem, I will get to that. The second generation Eero uh, now has a third five gigahertz radio. I'm not entirely sure what that means, but I know it's good. I know that when I have my old router set on five gigahertz, it's much faster than two, which is the other setting. And so having more radios would be good. It's tri-band. It's twice as fast as the last one. Um, so you can do more simultaneously. Like when, when we record this show, um, sometimes I have to be like, don't watch Netflix now. But uh, <laughs> I don't have to worry about that anymore. And again, you're, you're placing the beacons in different places of the house. So all throughout your house, you should have fast, reliable Wi-Fi. Um, there's increased speed. Uh, it sits flat on a surface or the beacon plugs right into the wall. What was actually kind of cool is that... Um, in my hallway upstairs, I had to remove a nightlight that I have there for the kids if they need to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. And I thought, that's going to be a problem. But the beacon also functions as a nightlight. It has an LED light at the bottom of it. You can set it to be always on. You can set it to be on a timer or you can set it to be ambient. So if the light goes dark, the, you know, if the room goes dark, the light comes on. And I was like, that solved my problem. I don't even need this, this nightlight anymore. And I was very happy about that. I've had it up and running for about a week now. It is absolutely faster. I've run tests. I kept my other network up so I could sort of switch between them and check. I've done speed tests. Um, it is about 
It's about three times as fast as my two gigahertz um, band on my old Wi-Fi and about 30, 40% faster than my five gig band here in the house. So it's it's been really good. I haven't had any dropping problems um, and I've increased the area um, where I have a good signal throughout the house. Um, and I haven't had to play with the beacons too much and rearrange them uh, to go to different spots, but I, I like that you can and you can use the app to sort of, uh, you know, basically optimize everything as, as well as you can. So... You want to get over to Eero.com, and uh, with this with this show, we are offering free overnight shipping within the U.S. or Canada uh, with the code IFANBOY uh, at checkout. Um, you put that in after you've gone through the process, and it'll take the shipping away and send it to you overnight. And I want to thank Eero for sponsoring the show. Uh, Paper Girls. Is Paper Girls. Book. It's a comic book. Uh, you know what those are. And this one is written by Brian K. Vaughn, or BKV. First of the iFanboy video show interviews, if I remember correct. And uh, this is drawn by Cliff Chang, who is a delight. And are you reading this, Josh? I, I, I'm not. I dropped off at some point, and I've had a hard time getting back on. I absolutely understand. I think this does read better in trades, but just because it hadn't been talked about for a while, and I recently did a reread of all the issues up to now to go on the um, Understanding Comics podcast to talk about this. And it's a really cool, clever little time travel book where as far as I can tell, and it remains to be seen when the book ends, he hasn't said when the book is going to end, but it's probably going to be issue 30. And there's sort of a a line story of these four paper girls moving linearly through their own timeline, but jumping around in time as they do it all centered around this suburb of Cleveland. But then there's a B story of a war between generations that's being told in reverse. So in the early issues of the book, as far as I can tell, we're seeing the end game of that war and you're starting to see what caused it as we get further into the series. Wow. And it's so it's incredibly clever, deft storytelling um, that someone like BKV is capable of. And I'm just it's fascinating to watch it unfurl in real time. So that's why I'm on issues. But I agree it will take uh, one or two rereads in trade form to really, I think, pin down exactly what's going on. Yeah, I think I I lost. What happened was a couple of times I let the issues pile up Mm -hmm. and then I lost the thread. Um, and I, and I still, I, one of the things I, I think I still had a hard time figuring out what it is that I wanted to grab onto, maybe in terms of characterization or otherwise. Yeah. Um, it was really beautiful looking and clearly like it's, it's great. I just was passing me by, but. Well, so the, the first arc I think is actually a little bit of a mislead because it focuses on the new paper girl who's in town and the, the way the story is structured is it actually shifts the point of view from character to character with each arc. But I don't think that's not made super explicit. And so if you don't if you don't catch that kind of curve where the main character doesn't stay the main character, I think it's easier to get lost. Mm-hmm. But it's still good. I think it'll read really well when it's all, all put together. I'm sure. I'm sure. And I will check that out. And I just I like time travel stories, so I'm I'm in for that. Speaking of stuff that I kind of missed and then was too far behind on to bother. Oh, that's right. You're not a. I feel like if it's Jeff Lemire doing his take on a superhero universe, you're all over that. But I forget that you're not really a Black Hammer person. So uh, the Quantum Age, which is from the world of Black Hammer, written by Jeff Lemire, artist Wilfredo Torres, colorist Dave Stewart, and uh, letters Nate Picos. And this is essentially Jeff Lemire doing uh, Legion of Superheroes. And you like that? In the far future. 
I was never, I'm not, you know, a diehard Legion of Superheroes uh-huh. fan, but I read, I think I read like Mark Wade's run that he did with Barry Kitson uh, in the early 2000s, I want to say, and enjoyed that enough that I feel like I have a grasp on these characters. And so some of these characters are descended, some of the characters in this book are descended from characters we see in Black Hammer, the, the Martian character. And then the rest are kind of their adult versions of the Legion of Superheroes have kind of split up. And now one of the, the members of that team has become an authoritarian ruler of Earth. And the, uh, the team, the rest of the team has to reform to try to take him down. And there's a flying psychic armadillo that can go out in space. And I'm, I'm there for that. It's that sounds that that's that all sounds good. It's fun. What do I know Wilfredo Torres for? From he, oh he did um, didn't he do Jupiter's something? Jupiter's one of the Jupiters, one of the Mark Miller Jupiters Legacy Circle, whatever. I think he, he did the the back the flashbacky ones. I mean, this is like this is like Jeff Lemire doing Astro City. This is to me a fascinating exercise of sort of rhyming couplets of the superheroes we know with mm-hmm. with Jeff Lemire's take on them. Mm-hmm. I. I, I, just, I I've I've read an issue here or there I think it was a patron picture or something like that it was fine it just it all of a sudden I looked and there was a lot of it and I was like I'm not I'm not I can't that's the other thing that impresses me about it is the output yeah is is kind of staggeringly impressive well he's got mouths to feed yeah it shows <laughs> the product is there it's putting it on the page so you brought up uh, Xerxes the the fall of the house of Darius and the rise of Alexander which I have a hard time saying number five um. I, I am curious what you thought of this, what you've what you've been thinking of this. It's kind of I don't know. It, I, it's not a return to form per sort of. se, but it. Yeah, it, there were returnings. It's the best thing I've read from Frank Miller in since I can remember. Yes, like not, that's not true. Since I can remember ever. But, you know, in in the in his recent production of of stories, um, I think this is the closest to, you know, showing off his true mastery of the form that we've seen in a while. I agree with that. And you know what else I like about it is that there's no sense of him trying to impress anybody or do anything other than what he wants to do. And it is on the right side of of um, self-indulgence. Mm. And what I, what I mean by that is he's decided to do the whole thing basically in double double page spreads, um, and then there's bits at the end which are just like pages and pages of soldiers coming at you through the page, mm-hmm. and there are circumstances I think where I would not be okay with that, but in this circumstance I'm like just Frank do what you want but be Frank here be fully distilled Frank do what makes you happy and I'm gonna I'm gonna follow you along for it. Yep, I couldn't um, even necessarily tell you what the story is. Yeah, it, it <laughs> and it, I don't care. It covered a lot of ground in this issue. Like I think we we're, you, it takes big leaps in time that right. we're not fully aware of what's happening. And so you know, if you kind of know the basic history behind it, you can sort of stick a flag in the ground and hold on. I'll tell you what I could have used. Yeah, it's a map. Well, it's a small area. I, don't, I still I want mean, a map. I like a. It doesn't matter how small the area is. I like. I enjoy a map, and I think you do too. So I don't know why you're pushing back on this. Because I can go look at a map. All right. You should go. People should go listen to. Um, I think there's a. I think there's a Persians. I think that was the basic uh, thing. A hardcore history podcast did a bunch of episodes on the on the Persian conquest, and this is all in there. Um, gives it a lot of context, and I think helps me read it. And I don't know if those are still free or not, but it's like literally like 
probably each show is like five hours and there's probably five of them but that's it's an intimidating undertaking to li- to listen to one i can't imagine actually producing one <laughs> i know i think about that too cosmic ghost rider number two that's a fun book sure is i don't know i don't know if that's really frank castle anymore but i don't really care like it's like this post give a shit frank castle so he's not as grim as he used to be mm-hmm. i mean he's still grim don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, he's hanging out with baby Thanos, who's who's formidable <laughs> as a baby. Um, yeah, it's big and crazy. And, and I really, really dig the art uh, from Dylan Burnett a lot. Yes. It, it, I think that really sells it. Agreed. He does good space sharks. I think, I mean, was it Jason Aaron's Thor run that introduced space sharks as part of the Marvel cosmic ecosystem? I believe so. Yes, I'm I'm here. I'm, I'm for it. Like you might sure. think that I would have a problem with it, but I do not. I think space sharks are a delight and I enjoy almost every time they show up. Where do they get the armor? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> What's the other? Co- there's like there's the great white one and then there's the other one. I'm guessing that's one of those deep sea sharks. Yeah. Um, there's a name. Like I a can't f- think of it. I was hoping frill mouth frilled shark. Something like that. Yeah. And they're big and look weird. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a shark called the goblin shark that can um can kind of shoot its own jaws out of its mouth to snatch stuff. Yeah. It's pretty gross, about. but pretty cool. Yeah, somebody somebody made them little helmets. I, I love it. I'm gonna guess Odin when he was drunk. I'm gonna guess drunk Odin did that. You know what I also like? Those are good sharks. Like the drawings are mm-hmm. they look like sharks. Yep. Sometimes people draw sharks. Certainly sometimes people draw dinosaurs. And you think, have you looked at a picture of this at all? <laughs> um, but these look like sharks to me. They have that dead right. look in their eyes. Black eyes. Look at doll's eyes. Better than the Meg. Oh, man. I saw that trailer and I was like, oh, I want to see that. Yeah. I, I was hanging out with a shark researcher friend of mine uh, last week and we were discussing the Meg. Because she had only just seen Jaws like the mm-hmm. day before for the first time. And she's <laughs> a shark researcher. Okay. That's weird. Yeah. Well, wait, she was invited to do a panel discussion, <laughs> but she had to like sit and watch the movie first because it was a post, you know, after the movie panel discussion about right. actual shark stuff. And that was her first time seeing Jaws and she liked it. So to her credit. OK, good. Uh, yeah. Also, this was good. A uh, good watcher and not the stupid unseen. That's true. That's very true. Didn't the unseen show up somewhere else? I don't Did you show care. Up something. I blocked it out. And then uh, the last page is you know i am i like alternate universe takes on heroes so cable in this in this world is the leader of the guardians of the galaxy with a captain america kamala khan and a extra punky jubilation lee <laughs> and then yeah. uh, howard the juggernaut howard duck. the juggernaut juggerduck and then who's rec- who's rocket supposed to be is I that rocket yeah, I think it is quantum? Rocket. It looks like he's wearing some sort of Quant- quantum armor, but the cover to the next book looks like he's got like a brood parasite body on him. Well, all right then. So what well, remains to be seen. Is that a Rob Liefeld cover? It certainly looks stylistically like it could be, except I can see one of Kamala Khan's. Nope, that, it is cut off at her ankle, so you can't see her foot. That's, so, yeah. that's I, I mean, that that's either, that's either Rob Liefeld did that cover... Which I could see him doing. It is Cable. Yeah, that's a Rob Liefeld Cable face right there. <laughs> and shoulders. All of it. Wow. Look at that. I think that's what's happening here. I wanted to quickly touch on Leviathan number one. Uh, you and uh, Connor got the 
ability to talk about Farmhand number one from Rob Guillory, and shortly thereafter, his his chew partner uh, John Lehman re- released Le- Leviathan. Um, this time working with uh, co-creator Nick Patara. Um, it's a kaiju story. <laughs> it's pretty straight up. Um, the whole time I was thinking, uh, well, Nick Patara is the right person for this. 100% to draw a, a giant uh, lizard radioactive... It's Godzilla. I mean, it is. Who's sort of red, drunk, going through the city and destroying everything. Um, and then there's also sort of a weird black magic element to it. Um, I just like that everybody keeps getting killed. <laughs> it's... I do like the sort of Rashomon, the same event from different perspectives. Uh-huh. Rashomon being a movie I've never seen, but I just know that that's what it is. And so I do like the idea of a giant disaster or horror being unleashed in the world, and you have people who just are surviving on the ground versus, like, a guy who takes a religious perspective versus a guy who's, an, you know, mm-hmm. you have the, the mainstream religious guy, but then you have, like, the apocalyptic religious guy. And I like when those worldviews are all interpreting the same event differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, like, my, my thought, I was like, Okay, I, I think I see what you're doing here. And I, and I might be wrong, but I, I think it said one of five. I did think a little, like, is there a need for this in our world? But then I saw the way that Nick Batara drew it, and I was like, I don't care if there's a need for it. I would also want Nick Batara to draw this if I was John Layman. I would just like, you go nuts, have fun. Um, I think it's kind of just a bit of silliness, and I'm okay with that. That's what I, I decided on. Um, I had fun with it, and I think, I feel like it's only a few issues. I thought the Trump bit... I don't want to see it anywhere, even parodied. <laughs> like I don't, I don't need to think about that at all. Um, but I know, I know Layman has very strong feelings on those, <laughs> on those issues. But it was fun. I liked it. Let us move along to the patron pick, Seeds Number One. Um, this is from Dark Horse Comics, and it is uh, from Karen Berger's new line. Karen Berger, for those of you who don't know the history, uh, the legendary editor and founder of the Vertigo Comics line, to me, the most influential comics ever made um, in my lifetime, um, and some of the best stuff ever. She certainly has an eye for talent. And this story is by Anne Nascente, and the triumphant return, uh, I guess that remains to be seen if it's triumphant, of David Aja on uh, art, color, letters, design. The whole schmear. Did you read it? I did. <laughs> yeah? Yep. So, I will begin. Uh, at first, I wasn't sure if I was enjoying it. And, okay. Because uh, it is fairly... Innocenti is a is a name I've known for a long time. I feel like she she was writing Daredevil when I first started reading comic books. Um, and I remember those being kind of vague, but I was like 12, so I didn't really know the difference. Um, but as I was reading through this, I liked a lot of what I saw. But I think that the way that this was working is that at first, it was a very specific light that is shining on one part of a scene. And you only see that part, and then it would go over here, and you'd see another little part of it, and and underneath it might be really good and interesting, but we haven't been shown all of it yet. I yeah. So the story is still obviously early on in the telling, but 
there's some sort of very decrepit city. It has a kind of a Brian Wood DMZ feel. Yeah, I was thinking, I, at first I thought, is this about East and West Berlin? Is that what's happening here? Yeah, and there's a big wall and people uh, apparently can go over the wall, but there's you know differences in the way technology works and, and uh, no fly zones and things like that. And then there's this whole thing with bees and seeds. Bees. Bees. We're going to need a lot of money, Michael. Mm-hmm. Bees aren't cheap. So Bees? Uh, <laughs> go buy us some coffee. Uh, and yeah, it, there's a reporter character, there's a sex worker character, and then there's a very mysterious character whose identity is sort of revealed at the end, maybe, by yeah. the reporter seeing them with the sex worker. And I guess I'll just go ahead and say it. It's a gray alien type. Yeah. And so as far as I can tell, the gray aliens are collecting seeds of a dying earth and seeds. Bees. Sorry, I'll stop. <laughs> you can't you can't have bees in here, Josh. They don't <laughs> allow you to have seeds in here. <laughs> and the aliens, I guess, are going to use the, the bees to keep Earth's plant ecosystem going as the humans have let it fail. That's my that's my assumption. The, of what's the aliens seem to be conv- that like the, they're basically just like worker bees. They're workers who who are like boss says the 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 humans are doomed so we got to do this stuff like they're very dispassionate about it yeah so it's sort of like mac yeah so you've got like the micro level the bees are doing their micro invert task and then you've got the vertebrate masters of the v's who are still doing the same thing just Mm -hmm. at a bigger scale and um i don't know it's it's cool it's eerie yeah good word eerie yes it is a lot of there's a lot of weird, vague, creepy imagery. And I personally, um, you know, I was one of those kids who read all the UFO books and uh, alien stuff. And I, I to this day, I think the gray alien mythology is one of the creepiest modern mythologies that exists. Mm-hmm. And it's so very rarely done well. And so if this is going to do something cool with that mythology, I'm probably going to stick around. Yeah, I, I think I liked it's funny because. Anna Senti, like I said, like I was, so I would have known her from the late '80s, and then she didn't do a lot of mainstream comics in the time that I've been reading them. But every once in a while, something will pop up, and I just reading this thinking, I was reading this thinking, this is really, this is really sophisticated for someone who I think of as a 1980s superhero comic book writer. Um, and clearly, like she's done other stuff since then. I could probably look it up, and or people would know. I think I've read one or two stories where she also impressed me. Um, but it's not, it's not, they're not going to tell you everything. Like you're going to, you're going to live in this world for a little while and, and work it out whether you, you want to be there for a very, a very long time. Um, but you got David Aja, so that makes it a lot easier to hang out there. Now, his style here is, is beautiful and it's clearly him and it, you know, it's as if somebody turned up the contrast really high on a bunch of photos and kept them sort of really stylistic and beautiful. Um, but it's just his drawings and I just I don't know what to make of it yet. That's kind of where I am. Like I'm I'm absolutely willing to stick around with it. Um, I like that there's different voices and the different characters and the different scenes have a different feel to them. I think when we switch to the the, the I guess the gray aliens like talking about their stuff, like it's it's a very different tone that is going on in some of the other stuff. There's and then I guess one thing that's going on here is something I'm always wary about is t- too many issues. Mm, yeah. You have environmental destruction, you have uh, this divided society, you have technological interference, you have um, uh, the end of the earth coming, you have sexual politics, you have a disabled, uh, is it a disabled prostitute? 
you have there's a lot here um and it's going to be tough to give all that enough coverage but we were talking about being able to draw dinosaurs well and these magpies are spot on well there you go actually i heard people you know like like the way that like his faces they look like photos they don't look like drawings of photos they look like they do look like like not tracings is what i mean like his just his line is so good that it looks they like they look people. like whenever i use a, adobe illustrator's trace image trace mm-hmm. tool they look like what i wish i got yeah and like the the girl who 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 walks around naked like he just draw he draws people that look that look real um yep like it have it has an actual human body yeah and and i find i just find it fascinating i can't not look at it he's very good he's really very good and and in such a simple way mm-hmm. it's it's the it's you know it's the kind of the best it's the opposite of the nick patara stuff i was just talking about um so ratings 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 want to go ahead with a rating i will give this a 4.25 okay i i really did like a lot about this i thought it was a good number one issue sticking with it yes I'm going to give it a four, but that's higher than it was when I started. It's book one of four. So this yeah. is a limited, limited run. I'm giving it a four and I've, I am going to stick with it. I'm going to, I'm reading all four. I'm in for the duration. No problem. Nice. Well, if you want to make sure Josh makes it to the end of that duration, you can do that by supporting the show at patreon.com slash iFanboy. And the next stretch goal for that particular platform is a non-comics media podcast, which, um, Almost Famous, is that the one that's threatened? It's, it's, it's been first? bandied. Bandied. <laughs> so that's what you'll get if you go and support iFanboy at a level on Patreon. And there's also a t-shirt store at iFanboy.threadless.com where there are seven designs. The classic iFanboy logo. Ugh. The classic iFanboy logo. I still have my intern shirt, Josh. Mm-hmm. And then there's Herm is not in reference to anything. Pick of the Week podcast, which is a reference to this podcast. Ratings, which is not a reference to anything. Ratings. If one is Electro, you will have to explain. GDAT, you might also have to explain. But you don't have to explain nothing makes sense and because nothing matters because it, that is the explanation. Mm-hmm. GDAT's easier to explain. Than if one is Electro? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I can see that. And it's, it's, a, it's a much quicker process. I mean, GDAT's practically a good. Yeah. That's, fanboy, that's oh. somebody else's thing. <laughs> you can also support iFanboy directly via PayPal at iFanboy.com slash support. And through Amazon, if you're tired of Amazon taking all your money and not giving anything back to the little guy, you can go to ifanboy.com slash Amazon where you can links where there are links to buy all the books from the Booksplode and just a general link to Amazon. And you can use that as your portal to Amazon. And that way, a little bit of the money you spend there instead of going to Jeff Bezos will come to iFanboy. (sighs) I'm 5'10". I'm not the little guy. I don't. I get, although in contrast, anyway, uh, next up, of course, a part of the patron fun is that if you are at the five dollar or higher level a month, you are in line. It's a, it's, it's not, it's not an insignificant cue. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest with you, uh, to get a patron power, um, as dubbed on you, uh, by whoever is hosting the show that week. First up is Hal K, who could be have been a session drummer in the '60s. Hal K, uh. Hal K can fly, but every time well, he does, useful. he oh, gets a cold for a week. Ooh. Ooh. 
Yeah. Does it do it? Like, okay, here's my question. Here's my question. So I fly, let's say I fly to work and back. That's two flights, Mm -hmm. right? Do I have a cold for two weeks or does the seven day clock reset every time I fly again? Uh, It comes on the day after. Okay. You fly. Um, so in that in that case, it would only be uh, ex- extended by the amount of hours between the two flights. Okay, and then can I fly with the cold? No. No. So I've it's a weak refractory period. Yeah, you got to you got to pick your battle here. Okay. All right. And it's um, not it's not it's not a horrendous cold. It's not like you're laid low, but you you got a cold. Like you you can feel it. You're not you're not you're not at your best. Just wipes your immune system right out to fly. <laughs> wow, that's tough. Yeah, I feel like I would want to use flying all the time. Well, that—that's the thing. No one said this was going to be easy. So I'm just—I'm hopped up on cold meds, flying around. I mean, trying not to get shot down. You know, at a certain point, you're like, I think I just got to land for a while. Fair enough. Eric Williamson uh, has the amazing ability to stack sandwiches perfectly so that they are never messy. Things never, never squeege out while eating. Wow. Yeah. Always a clean sandwich when Eric Williamson's around. But not, but not dry. No, perfectly moist. Yep. And you, he could even put a sauce on it or have something with a lot, you know, like a, a, something with a lot of gooey cheese, like a cheesesteak, but it's still, when he eats it, when he holds it in his hand or if he makes it himself, uh-huh. It will, and somebody, so he can make a sandwich oh. and give to somebody else, or any sandwich he takes that's been pre-made. As long as he's the one eating it, it'll never be messy. Dad, can we have sloppy joes? No, absolutely. No, you can't. You can. You can if Eric Williamson's making it's them. A, it's just a Joe. He's never made a sloppy joe in his life. There's some. There's some magical radius of protection that it just won't go outside the bun. Wow. His, it's almost like you'd want to be able to turn it off, though, for certain things. You want that joy of the sloppy Joe. Well, what really it, I think the bigger I think one of the questions that arises is, does this affect things like hot dogs and burritos? I don't even know the answer to that because the what I is a sandwich question? The what is a sandwich question? I don't think a burrito is a sandwich. No, it's a wrap. It's, it's a burrito. Yeah. It's uh, a tiny donkey. Now, here's the thing, though. If you say the word burrito to me, I go, ooh. But if you say the word rap to me, I go, yeah, I know. Right. So uh, they're in different worlds. OK, is, is uh, I could uh, we, we, we have to move on. We can't. We can't. <laughs> we can't. It's too. It's too much. Paul Ruggiero always knows the best postage rate and method. How should I send Ooh. this? Oh, you don't want to send that uh, UPS today because it's shipping from Massachusetts, but uh, it's only going to Rhode Island. So that's going to be overnight no matter what. And that's going to he's going to know that that has the best rate at all times. You ever sell anything on the Internet? No, just my myself. (laughs) Well, sort of as a Patreon, too. Well, occasionally you will be selling something on the Internet, either on the eBay or I will use reverb for musical gear and things like that. And you don't know what to choose for shipping. There's ways to estimate it. But really, at the end of the day. I've been hosed. Like, I sold a guitar once, and it cost me a billion dollars to ship and screwed everything up. Paul doesn't have that problem. He'll know exactly what the shipping is. Makes his, makes his eBay listings perfect. 
through any carrier. It sounds yeah, like. and he knows whatever systems are available internationally. Huge. So he could do like a, he's got like a DHL account ready to go. Yes, all of it, all of it. Because so that's a hassle. I've tr- I have tried to set up a DHL account for some international shipping, and that was a pain. Yeah, no, Paul, Paul's got all that stuff worked out. Oh, that that would be very useful. Yeah, no, it's totally useful. Well, Roger Priest, uh, he may not have that worked out, but what he can do is he can identify any rock by taste. <laughs> Uh, the question being, is it like Tony Chu, where it doesn't, it still tastes like rocks, it's bad, he doesn't really like putting it in his mouth, but he can still do the do the work. Ah, Josh, but this is where, uh, my friend, you may not know that this is something geologists actually do all the time. Okay. Uh, it is... It, First-year geology students are often very – think we're trying to trick them when we say, no, 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 just put it in your mouth, and you'll know what it is. And they think we're lying. And in some cases – it's not true for all rocks, but in some cases, your mouth is the best tool for determining what that rock is. Now, So is this a superpower, or do we all yeah, already have this? No, because it doesn't work for any rock, but unless you're Roger Priest. So, like, if it's a fossil or if it's got, you know, halite versus gypsum, you can you can tell really easily because halite's salt. So if it tastes salty, sure. um, fossils have a different texture on your tongue. Uh, sand like sandstone versus claystone versus mudstone all have different textures between your teeth. Mm-hmm. But so those are, you know, so there's not a ton of examples where where your mouth is actually a useful tool. But for Roger Priest, anything he can tell you the difference between a granite and a granite diorite with his eyes closed. Hmm. He's got it. Just he's just got to get a little lick. Oh, that's serpentinite shale shale he could do it yeah any rock he'd be great on a a, in a mine Mm -hmm. or on an oil field very useful very practical power how are his teeth stronger than normal he doesn't have to bite down okay to to get to get the identification there's only some rocks that it helps to get them between your teeth but Uh but for him it's literally once he tastes it he knows if there are any young listeners out there who were just talked out of a career in geology or talked into talked it, in, yeah, yeah, come um, join us. Let That's us a know. Lot of fun. <laughs> let us know. Um, again, you can you can sign up for your power and get on the list at Patreon.com/slash/ifanboy. Thank you to everybody who did that. Let's let's do one of these. Uh, we're we're running short on time. Why don't you read this? Because my voice is horrible right now. Josh from Westchester, New York. I can't do a Westchester accent. Maybe you can, Josh. I I can't think of what that would be. I've been ruminating on this question for about six months. I know it's not that long, but with three kids under five and a job, it's all I could muster at the moment. After taking your recommendations, I was impressed by the craft that Tom King displayed with the Sheriff of Babylon and the Vision series. Since then, I have been loving his run of Batman since the War of Jokes and Riddles and have hungrily lapped up every issue of Mr. Miracle. And quite honestly, they're just so good. In my humble opinion, what he's doing is exactly is exciting and entirely different than anything else I'm seeing out there right now. As a comic reader, I feel like I more regularly ascribe importance in hindsight. I loved Scalped, but didn't really realize what it was until I had all the trades and read through them from number one to number done. The same goes for Preacher. But I feel like what I'm seeing with Tom King is me recognizing something special as it's happening. My question is, can you think of any examples where, as something was coming out, you pointed to it and said, this is wholly unlike anything I'm used to? Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns came out when I was three, so I'm a little young for that paradigm shift. But the only other example I can think of is when I started reading Bendis' dialogue in Powers and Ultimate Spider-Man, and it was totally different than anything I'd read before, and that's how I feel about Tom King right now. 
I really like thinking about comics and media in general in terms of these paradigms. When, And I really do think that sometimes when something comes out, it changes everything that not everything, but like it changes the direction of things that come after it. You can look back and, you know, in film comedy, you can look back and say when uh, Animal House came out, it changed everything that came after it um, in terms of like film comedies. Again, like old school to me is another one of those paradigm shifts. And then there was another one to shift away from that. You know, it goes on like that forever. Um, in comics, I think you can recognize it. It, there's, there's, there is different ways to do it. There's, there's, you can recognize stylistic changes um, that happen like that, and that people start to imitate. Obviously, this happens in music too. You're, you know, the Beatles, 1964 shows up on on uh, Ed Sullivan, changes everything that comes after it. Nirvana, smells like Teen Spirit, like those are those moments. And comics do the same thing. Um, is Tom King one of those paradigms? No, I don't think so only because his approach to me seems very personal. And so what you're seeing when he does that is is he's putting himself in one way into stories or it certainly feels like he is in it one way or another. Um, which is very different than say how Grant Morrison would approach something which was to like think of the biggest craziest thing, you know, that could pop out of his head. Um, you know, and and but I feel like there's certain creators and that what they do is is so personal that other people might try to copy it, but they won't. It won't be a thing. Um, mm-hmm. Bendis sort of straddles both of those sides of the line. He I does. Think. I was going to point out that like Ultimate Spider-Man is a personal book somehow. Yeah. It shouldn't, it shouldn't work, but it does. I think what happens is that Bendis does a book that, you know, is only he could. He's the only one who can write like that. But other people try it, but it doesn't ever come out sounding like him. Yeah. So it doesn't work. And I think that that might be a thing. People are going to be influenced by Tom King for sure. But I think that what you're going to get out of that influence isn't going to sound like Tom King. Garth Ennis, same way. No one can write like Garth Ennis. But Warren Ellis, you know, saw what Garth Ennis was doing and and went and did a thing that then becomes Warren Ellis. But I, I, I mean, I think you could see he's influenced by Garth Ennis. I think the timeline is right for that. And again, I, you know, Warren Ellis, a lot of people have tried to copy Warren Ellis, but nobody has. Well, what about his first example with Scalpton and what the work Jason Aaron has has produced? I think those are just good. Okay. I don't think Scalped changed anything other than Jason Aaron's career, which then went on to change, you know, the Marvel universe to a certain extent because of his influence on it. But it didn't yeah. change how people were doing books. Uh, in 1986, Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen, that changed how comic books were perceived and made. Um, well, here, here's a thought. Okay, so that Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen, 86, and then it was about 15, 20 years before we started seeing the authority and ultimate Spider-Man mm-hmm. and books like that, which you, you talked about in the planetary episode that really did change the landscape again. Yeah. I, I was, as, I was going to point out the authority is one of those ones that as I was reading and I was like, everything's different now. Yep. I, I felt the same way when I first read the authority. And so based on that timeline, we might be due like uh, Josh might be right to be thinking about this question right now. Yeah. Cause it's been a, you know, it's been 15, 20 ish years since the last big, shift and so something might be coming and we might be in it right now and just not seeing it for us for the trees but it's a, it is a really interesting question and there's a game julian and i've been playing uh where 
there's this idea that maybe we should do the Oscars five years after the years of the movies we're oh, talking yeah. about because the Oscars usually get stuff wrong. Yes. And they usually don't hit though. They might hit a few zeitgeisty movies, but they often miss what movies have staying power in our cultural conversation about the world. For example, Shakespeare in love beat saving private Ryan. Like up and down the board. Saving Private Ryan won a few a few Oscars, obviously, but like Shakespeare in Love whooped it that same <laughs> year, and that's absurd. Well, I mean, the, the answer is that Miramax's marketing department, you know, was amazing. Their goal was to get Oscars, and they went after those as much as possible, and that's how that happened for those those years. But Sorry. I guess that no, no, no. I mean, that's a, I don't have that perspective, and I'm <laughs> sure you're 100 percent correct. But it's just interesting to think about how if you try to declare a winner of that sort of paradigm shift too soon, you can end up just looking foolish. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, the Eisners flirt with that, um, which is odd that that Tom and Mitch won this year because it was almost like, wow, they recognized it as it was happening, which is, I think, sort of what the letter's talking about, Josh. Um, I. I Two more, two more thoughts on it from me, I think, is that the last paradigm shift that I would remember um, that I saw as it was happening and we saw it ripple out um, after the authority, after the Miller-Ellis um, air uh, in the beginning of the 2000s um, was uh, Matt Fraction and David Aja on Hawkeye. Hmm. Um when that started, I didn't know that it was necessarily going to affect everything, but I said, this is a completely different book. This is like nothing I've ever seen. Um, and then we started seeing imitators and stylistic influences popping up almost right away. Yep. Even in Deadpool this week, uh, written by Scotty Young, there's, you know, a scene where Deadpool loses his pants and he's got a little Deadpool symbol over his crotch, which is a direct pull from yep. Hawkeye. Yeah. And, and, and eventually you're not gonna you're, people aren't gonna remember what that comes from it's just gonna be a style that people recognize um in the same way that you know the watchmen people are aping the watchmen all the time but they don't know they're doing it anymore or you, you know readers don't necessarily recognize right it. have like, you read that doomsday clock book it feels a lot like the watchmen it is that's you know what? i couldn't put my finger on it but that's what it is <laughs> um uh, the only other point i would make is from a media standpoint um the difference between now and then is that they're um, I don't. I don't want to say long tail theory, but uh, media is so spread out in a different way. Uh, everybody, there's a lot of different smaller audiences now than there ever were, and so to see a a paradigm shift is much less likely now. You will see smaller movements, I guess. Um, this is harder to bring the entire culture with you. Yeah, because nobody has to. Everybody can pick out exactly what they want. It, you know, as far as a microcosm goes, Marvel and DC Comics and, and Image to a certain extent and some of the other smaller ones around there, they're all a community that are seeing what each other are doing and moving that way. But um, it, it, things will not be uh, as sort of uh, all-encompassing as they had been in the past, I don't think. Um, but I, I think part of that, too, is you see it in in the, the publisher's offerings um, is that sometimes there there seems to be there's like DC, I think, made an effort to make everything like one line to have sort of a continuity of style uh, and it didn't work. And then after that, they sort of scrambled to be like, what does work? And then you see, you know, some different experiments and things like that. And it's it's a more it's a much more varied and diverse marketplace than it ever was. Um, and I don't think that's going to change. There you go. Anything else nice. to add to that? 
No, I think you said it. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for writing in, Josh. That was a really good question. I, I could have talked about that. I could talk about that for another hour easily. You can write into contact.ifanboy. You can send us a letter. You can send us a, a voicemail audio file there if you would like to. Um, this uh, past July, Connor and I, we, we just mentioned it, but we talked about Planetary Book 1, uh, which is sort of the first half of the Planetary series on our Blooksplode series uh, in August, which is now. Uh, there will be a Talksplode, and I'll be getting to work on that anytime now to figure out uh, which creator interview I'm going to bring you this month but there will be something um, are you on the animation you're on the animation I'm tip. still in the animation brain trust and so coming soon from us as you may have noticed Connor wasn't here this week it's not that he's just been quiet he actually wasn't here and uh, that is why we have yet to record our death of Superman show but it is coming as soon as Connor is back on the grid we will get it on the schedule and get it to all you fine folks he's on a vacation it's not even a joke. I'm He's on a real vacation. Sure I don't. I'm not familiar with this concept. Yeah, me neither. Um, you can head over to iFanboy. You can find out all, all about our podcast, see everything that we have uh, uploaded there in the past, and listen to all of the shows. Somebody the other day was like, what was that show you did about making comics? And I was like, it's called Make Comics, and there are 50 episodes of it up there uh, with my co-host Andy Schmidt, former Marvel and IDW editor. Uh, and uh, those are all up there. For example, um, there's about 70-odd interviews, not counting the Don't Miss podcast, which are short-form interviews, and you can find interviews uh, with God, almost anybody who's doing anything today, um, we talk to at some point or another. Um, so make sure to get over there. Um, you can follow us individually at uh, J.A. Flanagan uh, on Twitter and Instagram, although I actually don't have a Twitter account at the moment. I'll probably oh turn it back on at some point. Um, or at C.L. Skilpatrick on Instagram. Um, you can find out what the pick of the week is by following uh, iFanboy on Facebook.com slash iFanboy or at iFanboy on Twitter. And and Ryan, you are at uh, our help. Haupt. Haupt. Just Haupt. That's right. Sorry. Got, got in. Instagram. I got in on Twitter early. And Instagram, I'm Ryan Haupt. I, I didn't okay. get on Instagram quickly enough. Sorry. But if you dig the show, you can write a review or leave a star rating on iTunes, which is a really important way for people to find out about the show. iTunes is kind of the ecosystem du jour for podcasts still. And uh, better yet, tell your friends, make them listen, take their phone, open the podcast app and just subscribe to iFanboy and Science Sort of for them. Just do it. Uh, you can do that on your mom's phone, too. And you can introduce your mom to podcasts and say hello to her from us, because we need you to help us spread the iFanboy love. Hello, Iris, <laughs> Doris, Judy, Ruth, Zendaya. Don't forget Ruth. Of course, Ruth. Who could forget Ruth? Esther. Esther. All of, <laughs> all of our cultural influences are names from the 40s. <laughs> of white ladies who bake things. So, <laughs> you can, thank you so much for that. That was fun. I have a cold this week, so I'm off and I'm sorry about that it's it's very clearly i'm like i'm trying to do a good job and once i get going i'm okay when i stop i have to ramp up again and that uh that is a weird show if you've never listened before ryan's not even normally on the show didn't even mention that but it's fine because he, he's, he's he's just as good at it it's fine bye <laughs> <laughs>